Welcome to Common Rider Double A, a podcast where we don't watch Common Rider Double. I'm your Common Rider guru, Anna, and here's the A to my A, Adam. Hey folks, I'm Adam. Today we've watched and are recapping episode one of Common Rider Kiva, Fate Wake Up. Now, to any of you who started watching this either without knowing what Common Rider is, or who are my friends and family who I have forced to listen to this. How about I give a brief explanation of what Kamen Rider is? You see, Kamen Rider is a Japanese tokusatsu show. Tokusatsu being a genre of show uh, general, that is generally live action with martial arts. Uh, some famous examples of it are the Godzilla movies. And you can also technically put things such as the Avengers or Captain America in the tokusatsu genre. Although it's generally considered to be only from Japan by people who argue on the internet. Kamen Rider started in the year 1971 when a show uh, created by Shotaro Ishinomori premiered starring a man transformed by an evil organization into a grasshopper-themed superhero. This show was honestly revolutionary in many ways at the time, and if this was a Common Rider 71 podcast, I could heavily go into it, but since we don't have all the time in the world, what I will say is that Common Rider became an almost instant hit with children. It was a phenomenon, and it inspired the henshin boom of the 70s. So Kamen Rider continued to be made throughout the years, going through several hiatuses and different seasons. And then eventually, in the year 2008, on January 27th, Kamen Rider Kiva premiered, which is the show that we will be talking about. So Kamen Rider Kiva is a show that is actually kind of close to my heart. It wasn't my first Kamen Rider season I ever watched, but it is one of my favorites. So Kamen Rider Kiva is honestly not the most popular of seasons, nor is it uh, one of the most uh, hated or famous or anything. It tends to sort of firmly be on the middle. However, I'm personally a big fan of this season. And I've seen a lot of different seasons of Kamen Rider know. Out of the Heisei era of Kamen Rider, I have watched every single season and movie except for Hibiki, and don't worry, I am working on that. I've also gone back and watched a fair amount of uh, Showa Riders, including Kamen Rider Black and Kamen Rider Stronger, and I'm making my way through X and Super 1. However, enough about me hogging the microphone. Uh, how about I have my co-host Adam explain his uh, experience with Kamen Rider. Until recently, I had almost no exposure to Kamen Rider until I met you, befriended you, and you eventually showed me a movie called Kamen Rider Kabuto Godspeed Love. God bless America, baby. Oh yeah, that's... That was so out of place. Okay, for those of you who haven't seen Commander Kabuto Godspeed Love, the greatest movie in human existence, uh, one of the leitmotifs, one of the recurring bits of music that appears throughout that movie is a haunting rendition of God Bless America. It plays no less than four times throughout the movie, each time stranger than the last. Yeah, that was my first exposure to Kamen Rider, and I was almost instantly enamored. From what I could tell, there was both genuine and ironic enjoyment to be derived from this franchise. I have had not much exposure to tokusatsu before then. I had watched Power Rangers before as a kid, and with particular emphasis on Lightspeed Rescue back in the day. 
other than that, I hadn't really seen much unless you consider contemporary superhero films like stuff you'd see in the MCU as being a part of tokusatsu. Though, something that really strikes me about tokusatsu as a genre is its fixation, not though not to its detriment, on, uh, on the transformation as the hero's primary characteristic, I guess. In Western superhero stuff... It's mainly about how a hero's powers or abilities or tech counteracts that of the villains or rivals or supplements their allies' own abilities. But in Japanese pop culture, it seems to be focused mainly on transforming and assuming a armored or a different form and, and, have, and how that form augments your own abilities. And I find that curious. I don't, maybe it's just me being a Westerner through and through, but I find it interesting and definitely worth further exploration. But other, but since seeing Godspeed Love, I've also started watching Common Rider Saber, and that's been an interesting ride thus far. But other than that, I'm interested in getting further into this franchise and figuring out what's what and sorting out a solid opinion on it all. So, Anna, why are we getting into Kiva specifically? Well, the reason is when I asked you if you wanted to go more old school or new school, you mentioned you wanted something a little more vintage. Mm, that delicious 12-year-old vintage. Mm. And I offered Adam the choice between Kamen Rider Blade and Kamen Rider Kiva. Like, not two of my favorites, but two of, I think some of the most solid of the uh, middle Heisei era level stuff. And uh, Adam thought that Kiva sounded more interesting. So we will uh, start this first episode by discussing Fate Wake Up, Comrade Kiva, episode one. It premiered January 27th, 2008, written by the infamous Toshiki Inoue and directed by Ryuta Tasaki. So the, uh, the writer, Toshiki Inoue, is pretty famous in the common uh, Rider uh, fandom for uh, being the head writer on a lot of series. The head writer on Agito, the head writer on Fies, the head writer for the second half of Hibiki, which a lot of people don't like him for, head writer of Kiva, not to mention writing a bunch of... Uh, episodes for other uh, seasons. Ryuki, something that's normally thought as a Kobayashi season, had a fair amount of episodes written by Toshiki. Not to mention writing about 10 episodes of Kuga. Toshiki Inoue is honestly a mainstay of the Kamen Rider series, which a lot of people he has a certain way of writing, and a lot of people tend not to like it. And I hope that the more you, Adam, will uh, get to watch Common Rider, the more you'll be able to recognize what's a Inoue season and what's not. Is are there specific tropes he likes to employ? Or uh, yeah, there are a lot of tropes he likes to employ. However, for the director. Ryota Tasaki, who has a pretty extensive uh, directing credits, he's directed tons of episodes of Kamen Rider, all the way from back to black. Back in Kamen Rider Black, he was an assistant director before becoming a full-time director for ten episodes of Agito, eight of Ryuki, ten of Fies, just a lot of episodes here and there. If I recall correctly, Ryota Tasaki is also a very big director for Super Sentai, even more so than Kamen Rider. He is the person that came over to America and directed most of Lost Galaxy and uh, Lightspeed Rescue, the Power Ranger seasons. Has been directors on a lot of different Power Ranger seasons and non-mainline tokusatsu, such as Cutie Honey the Live, a personal favorite of mine, and Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, a very good adaptation of Sailor Moon. So the two people who wrote and directed this episode are probably some of the most experienced veterans that we have in this show. 
except for maybe Kobayashi, who's isn't really, but I like to think of as Inoue's like dark counterpart or light counterpart, I guess would be more accurate. We These are pretty much two of the most prolific common Rider writers in recent history. When you say Inoue is disliked or that he's infamous, would that be because he's he uses a lot of the same conventions, recycles a lot of the same plot points and such? Well, even though he's infamous, a lot of people admit that he's a great writer. Like, he wrote Kamen Rider Fies, which is considered one of the best seasons of the early Heisei era. But there are a lot of repeated themes, but in my opinion, not really to the point of it getting boring. They're more like, like a signature that he puts onto his seasons. Huh. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand of Common Rider, the general theme is that someone suffers a tragedy, they get kidnapped or experimented on by an evil organization or something, but then they exploit that evil organization's technology, magic, engineering, etc., and they become a hero of justice using that tech. But my understanding is that each individual season has a different interpretation of that central theme. Does Inoue get at all get varied in his approach to that theme, or does he just do the same thing over and over? There is a lot of variation in how he approaches the theme of Common Rider. Like, uh, take two of his most uh, famous seasons, Kiva, that we're watching now, and Fies, which is considered his one of his magnum opuses. Kamen Rider Fies, he uh, has a very different interpretation and resolution of a similar plot than Kiva. So each Inoue season has something different to offer. In fact, he actually wrote my favorite season of all time, Kamen Rider Agito, which is very unique, in my opinion, to the way that it, it goes about its approach of uh, Kamen Rider. Well, with that, I think we can go ahead and henshin into our synopsis and review for episode one of Akiva. Fate, wake up. We start with a caption against a black screen saying, Commemorating Shotaro Ishinomori's 70th birthday. Then we cut to a chapel in the year 1986. There is a funeral taking place where the departed has clearly lived fast, died young, and left behind a, an unreasonably beautiful corpse. One of the bereaved, a younger woman, leaves a flower on the dead man's body. To her shock, his eyes open, revealing they, along with his face, have taken on a stained glass-like texture. He gets out of his coffin, sprouts a set of six spider-like appendages from his back, which he uses to grasp the woman who is mourning him. A pair of fangs materialize out of thin air, and they give the woman's neck a hearty poke. She turns translucent and falls over, apparently dead, while the previously dead dude assumes a monstrous form, which looks something like uh, what would be produced from the copulation of a praying mantis and king cobra who honeymooned in a stained glass window factory. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, I will say for clarification's sake that this is the spider fangire. As people who watch a lot of Kamen Rider will notice, recurring themes and sort of events. For a lot of seasons, the first two monsters that appear will be a spider monster followed by a bat monster. That is a throwback to the first season of Kamen Rider where the first two monsters were a spider and a bat. This callback is something that I think Inoue likes to do a lot because in his first head writer season that he all wrote all the way, there was the first two monsters were a leopard and a turtle, which were the first two monsters of the season after Kamen, uh, the first Common Rider, Common Rider V3. And the season that Agito followed up had the first two monsters be a spider than a bat. So yeah, Toshiki Inoue is a giant nerd, is what all of this is trying to say. Go figure. 
In addition, I want to ask the question, how? How, how, how did this funeral happen? Because, spoiler alert for the anatomy of the Fangire, it's not transmutable. This man wasn't attacked by a Fangire then turned into a Fangire like post-death. Like, you're born a Fangire, you live a Fangire, then you die a Fangire. So how did this funeral happen? Did, did this man pull the ultimate long con? Did he spend years just making friends, like having them all care for him enough to go to his funeral and be completely devastated? Like fake his death, somehow make it past all, all of the medical examiners. And then it's just so in the middle of his funeral, he can spring up like a turkey surprise and kill this woman who apparently like cared enough for him to uh, for her to leave him a single flower <laughs> okay so either he has uh, the biggest complexity addiction in the entire planet or he's just weirdly into like pretending to be a corpse because this isn't more efficient than just stalking a woman and like finding her in a back alley and you know sucking her dry like that would have been just as efficient as pretending to be a corpse and waiting for her to lay a single flower on you. On you. <laughs> Maybe he just uh, got plastic surgery to so his face matched the the guy who died. He took the guy's corpse out and dumped him in a river, and just sort of laid there until the funeral happened. I mean. As we see later in this episode, Fangires seem to have a preferred type of victim. So, so, so like, what, what, what's, what's his? Woman who mourn him and lay a single flower upon his chest? I mean, funeral goers, clearly. Alright, continue, Adam, with your amazing recap. <laughs> anyway, the funeral attendees, they run out of the chapel while the creature gives chase. The creature spits goop at some of the people fleeing, webbing them up Spider-Man style. The monster approaches one of the webbed up people, but to his and my own shock, a CGI candelabra comes flying through the air with such righteous fury that it becomes physical upon bonking him in the face. A woman descends a nearby set of stairs with a bouquet of roses in tow. The stained glass that makes up the creature's body starts reflecting the countenance of the man this creature came from, and he asks the woman, Who do you think you are? She responds by stating that God has erred and allowing fangires like this creature into the world. With that, we have a label to paste onto these guys. Please return that life to God. Is Please return that life to God is sort of one of the translations huh. that uh there that the her organization's motto is and i just really love that line that's pretty good it's stained glass windows are kind of a a mainstay of churches so i could see how that works then the woman does that anime thing where she dramatically discards the set of clothes she was wearing to reveal a more practical set underneath. She brandishes a... Practical, quote-unquote. It's, it's still like, you know, sexy kick-ass gear. Yeah, like biker woman gear who, who will shove a boot up your ass. But anyway, uh, she brandishes a toy knife... That extends into a bladed whip, which I thought was pretty damn cool. And she starts fighting the Fangire in earnest. She gets some good hits in, but the Fangire apparently flees by either teleporting or camouflaging itself. And then just sort of sneaking away. But this is after it leaves some scratch marks on the chapel doors in frustration. We then transition to the year 2008, and how do we know that's the year? You may ask. We're treated to a bird's eye view where it's conveniently carved into the walkway. We see a man wearing what looks like cleaning equipment who's examining the scratch marks left behind by the Fangire when suddenly we're ambushed by the OP. So uh, I have some fun information about the actress 
that played the character that we just saw fight the Fangire, the person we will later find out is named Yuri Aso. The actress's name is Yu Takahashi. Uh, she's only had two uh, appearances in Kamen Rider. And the other appearance, besides this role in Kiva, is she returned in the anniversary season, Zio, to, to uh, act in the Kiva tribute arc as a completely different character unrelated to her old character from Kamen Rider Kiva. Huh. Does she have any credits in other works? Maybe films, etc.? Uh, it doesn't seem so. However, uh, she's. it seems that she's more of a model than an actress. Ah, uh, yeah. I see. But yeah, we're treated to the OP and it's... The most badass OP ever with chains everywhere. Yeah, it's good until that dragon shows up. Papa beating hearts. Papa one only. Yeah, it's a catchy song and it's... This is a thing that I'm taking a shine to when it comes to tokusatsu. It's just live action anime. And I think I quite like that. From what I've seen of Saber, tokusatsu seems to take a lot of the same comedic sensibilities and a lot of the same, I guess, action editing as anime does. And I, I think it works fairly well. But after we were so rudely interrupted by the OP, the man we saw before is apparently named Wataru. We cut to him trying to hustle a cat out of its food when a high schooler named Shizuka brings him some leftover fish. So, Wataru is unique. For starters, he's apparently a hypochondriac who is allergic to the entire world. For intermediates, he seemingly is starving all the time. And for the advanced, he does that thing where he almost entirely communicates by writing a notebook. His neighbors apparently dislike him. They call him Obake Taro, or Ghost Boy. And they seem to think his house ought to be condemned on account of how bad it smells. But when Wataru and Shizuka return to his house... He's swarmed by his neighbors and a police officer. Fortunately, Shizuka stands up for him and explains that he's allergic to the world, which is a condition that is far too cartoonish to be anything but psychosomatic. We cut to the interior of, Wat of Wataru's house, where a CG robot bat pops out of a hollowed-out violin and notes the pair's approach. Okay, so, Wataru Kurenai is played by the singer Koji Seto, whose band Tetrafang does the soundtrack for Kamen Rider Kiva. Oh, so he sung the OP? No, he did not perform the uh, opening. That was done by the band Torbillion. However, his band Tetrafang did perform a lot of the uh, music for the show. Okay, so I guess further on we may be treated to some insert songs during a suitably climatic fight scene or two or three or four. Yeah. And Shizuka Nomura is played by Rina Koiki, who uh, played Sailor Luna in the live action adaptation of Sailor Moon. And probably the biggest connection there is that Toshiki Inoue wrote a few episodes of the live action Sailor Moon. And also that Sailor Moon was that Sailor Moon show had a fair amount of common writer actors in it. It's a small Japanese entertainment world after all. Uh, that's mostly it, but also what an indifferent way to introduce a protagonist because Wataru is almost non-functioning, you know? Like he requires a high schooler to talk to his neighbors for him. Like, he's well, he's psychologically incapable of being outside. It's just a very different type of hero. Yeah. Yeah, I, normally I'd find it endearing, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I hope he grows out of this soon, because there's only so this sort of gag... If you apply Wataru's condition in a comedic way, it can only take you so far before it gets stale. And unless there's some sort of deep-seated trauma that's the root of it, I, 
I don't see much mileage coming out of it. Uh, well, I will say that uh, Wataru has a very dynamic character arc, and he's probably one of the common Rider heroes that grows the most in their season. Okay, I'll be looking forward to seeing how that pans out. We next cut to a photo shoot where the model Megumi seems more interested in eating than in her job. We transition to her having finished a rather sizable meal at a restaurant. She sees the fish she just finished wiggle its way off of her plate and into the bag of one Wataru Kurenai. She gives chase, though I don't understand why she does. That fish was... It was clearly finished. I don't... It only had its head left, and I don't I don't know if that's even edible. Wait, wait a second. Quick question. I just realized that earlier you mentioned that apparently he's hungry all the time. Is is that what you think he's doing with the fish heads? Is is it not? He has them in a hot pot later on. He's making varnish for his violins. Oh, that shows what I know. I had no idea that was what was going on. Yeah, he the reason he's making the varnish, he mentions that he wants to uh, be able to somehow... Replicate that color. Yeah, on the bloody right. rose. Okay, I, I don't know what the bloody rose is at this point, but... Uh, it's the name of the, uh, of the uh, violin that's in his house. I see, okay. Apparently the one that's in the display case and has some sort of emotional significance to him okay the more you know interesting did you think he was just eating fish heads i like, did he just stole he you just thought he was just taking these like rotten and eaten fish and just being like nom 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 time to eat i'm allergic to interaction with the outside world but you know what i do love fish heads that have already been eaten. I thought for sure he was like a starving artist type and that he was trying to get the cat food earlier. Well, he was trying he was trying to trade the cat food for the fish head. Oh my god, this this is wild. Anyway, we transition back which is going to be a phrase I use a lot apparently, back to 1986 where the woman who was fighting the fangar earlier is working her day job. Her boss asks her to feed the puppy that is set, just set up inside the diner they work at. Okay, this is baffling for two reasons. Uh, is it because the dog is 22 years old? That's the third reason. Firstly, this woman, Yuri, as we learn her name is, has no fear of the monsters that lurk outside of time and space and are always hungering and encroaching upon our plane of existence. But she is terrified of this puppy. Okay. Is it... Fear I is mean, never rational. Fear ha is a pretty important emotion. It, it... Also, may, may, also, maybe she's allergic. Maybe that's why she's freaking out, because it's like, oh, no, I do not want to spend the rest of my day in hives. Having a runny nose might make it difficult to fight fangires or something i don't know or they might mock you for it and that might hurt your feelings i guess first they hurt the feelings then they kill you yeah anyway she's terrified of this puppy so she cautiously feeds it the second reason for this dog's presence being baffling is that it's a two-month-year-old puppy these these critters take a while to train, and in that time, they're going to shit and piss everywhere. Diner patrons don't want a stink emanating from six yards away when they're trying to eat. Hey, Boss is very good at training dogs. Apparently good enough to get them to 22 years old. That, 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 that dog has been alive since 1986. I haven't been alive since 1986. Could it just be the offspring of that dog? I refuse to believe anything other than that dog being immortal. <laughs> Maybe at some point Yuri just stabbed it with fangire juice and gave it immortality. So, either way, Yuri, 
After she cautiously feeds it, a man in a business suit who the diner owner calls Shima walks in. He and the diner owner have a brief discussion in which they compare their body fat percentages, and I can only assume this is some manner of coded spy talk. <laughs> oh, no. These guys are just really into being healthy. More power to them, I guess. A minute later, Shima talks to Yuri about her next target, a fangire who is masquerading as either a stockbroker or corporate executive type. This is Japan in, like, the middle of their boom, so, uh, like, I assume it's a stockbroker. Oh, totally. It's, it's the same period of time Yakuza Zero covers. It's the economic bubble of the 80s, when prices were getting so inflated and everyone was prospering until the bubble popped and they had a big-ass recession and I'm probably oversimplifying things. And in the meanwhile, Kiryu was going around getting off of murder charges, beating up people in the back streets. Oh, uh, by, by the way, uh, I would give you information on Shima's actor, Kazuhiko Kam Kanayama, and Akira Kido, the cafe owner's actor, Hoka Kinoshita. However, the only information I have on them is that they are in Kamen Rider Kiva. Uh, so they're not career actors, most likely, if, if this is all there is in their filmography. We time-zition back to 2008, where Megumi is grilling Wataru about his food-stealing habits in the same diner. There's not much to say here other than Wataru's notebook is magical, because by the time Megumi was sort of grappling him, in the notebook it says, Hey, stop her! So, uh, I think it's time to give some information on Megumi's actress, Nana Yanagisawa. So, she hasn't had a very large, uh, you know, breadth of roles. However, she did have a appearance in Gogo Sentai Bokenger. She was a Phantom Thief Selene. And she also sung a few songs for Kamen Rider Kiva. Uh, she has a duet with uh, Yuri called Feel the Same, which I'm, if I recall correctly, is an insert song from the best moments. Oh. And as well as uh, singing part of Inherited System, Wonderful Blue Sky Organization, a song that's an insert song for a character that uh, will show up soon. We're treated to yet another flashback to 86, where Yuri's target, the stockbroker Fengire, who is going by the name of Sugami, is about to munch on his newest secretary. Yuri interrupts the evening meal by doing some sick motorcycle tricks onto his car. His Sugami comes out and assumes his Fengire form, which looks like a blue humanoid horse but not before to calling in two of his corpo bodyguards. Okay, so that was the horse fangire. Uh, would you like to hear what his true name is? Please. The sincerity and melancholy that the twin imposters dream about. Is this... Are these long, pretentious, poetic names something all fangires have? I have no idea, because this is the first time I ever found out about Fangires having true names. I was just on the character's wiki page on the Kamen Rider fandom to see if there's any fun trivia about him. But yeah, apparently this man's true name is the sincerity and melancholy that the twin imposters dream about. Okay, now we have to dissect this. Are the twin imposters sincerity and melancholy? Well, no, because the twin imposters are dreaming about sincerity and melancholy. So I think that means that the twins don't have a shred of sincerity or melancholy in them because they're psychopaths, like, you know, model agents and CEOs. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty... I'll accept the CEO judgment call, but the modeling agents, I don't know. I'm referencing his jobs in the show. I'm not making a judgment call on modeling agents. The CEO judgment call's welcome, but either way... Tsugami and Yuri fight a bit while the secretary flees, 
Sugami reverts to human form as his mooks, who are apparently not in the loop, arrive. They are unaware of this man's true identity. Yuri, who apparently has issues fighting humans, retreats and uses the old public display of affection trick to shake the mooks. And that was the worst decision ever made in her entire life. Oh, apparently. The guy who she is embracing, a dude in a striped suit holding an absolutely garish violin case, seems to want to continue being intimate. Yuri, badass that she is, pushes him away and resumes her pursuit of the Fangire. Unfortunately, the Fangire closes in on his secretary and kills her by giving her four good neck pokies. So, I'm assuming the Fang configuration that each Fangire has is dependent on what kind of animal they're modeled after. I think so. I... Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't think it matters all that much. I, I assume that, you know, each one is either unique to the animal or the stock footage they have in the uh, warehouse. <laughs> Yuri arrives and she attempts to finish Sugami off, only to be brought into the unwanted embrace of the fuckboy from before. Sugami capitalizes on the 80s disregard for consent and gets away. So, in, in, in defense, in defense of this awful, awful man, which, uh, in case you couldn't tell Adam from the fact that he's in the opening of the show. Oh, he surely can't be important. He's just a random fuckboy. He is a fuckboy. He isn't the best. However, he's not the worst. And to be fair, like, he's probably drunk right now and a girl came out and, like, made out with him. And he's like, oh, okay, this is fun. And, like... Not not as bad as it could be, and, you know, I, you can see why he might think she was into it, and he did back off after he was punched. For now, but this is the last we see him in this episode. Yuri, enraged, punches the boy in the face with a resounding BAKA! I can only assume that this means Yuri is a tsundere. Oh, by the way, uh, I finally managed to get past the name Sincerity and Melancholy the twins dream of. And I looked, I looked at the actor of the uh, horse fangire. Mm -hmm. The suit actor or the person the, uh, actor? The character actor. Uh, he plays Ishu Kasumi in Hurricaneger. Hurricane Jerk? <laughs> uh, it's the Super Sentai that's ninjas, but also like storm and elemental themed. He was the Navy Ranger. He was the Blue Beetle Ranger. I don't know what to think of the name the hurricane jerk that sounds like a oh i i misheard <laughs> i thought you said hurricane jerk yeah <laughs> he's a member of the hurricane jerks yeah they're they're always fucking up new orleans bastards so back in 08 <laughs> We return to 08, where Megumi is being interviewed by that same Fangire who is now going by the name Kaoru. Which is where my second piece of trivia comes in. The names Shoichi and Kaoru are both references to characters in Kamen Rider Agito, first uh, season that uh, uh, Toshiki Inoue did. Huh. Oh, there are so many references. I, I sense they're only going to pile on even more. The Fangire Kaoru does that creepy sex predator thing where he exploits a woman's professional ambitions and admiration for him and invites her to one of his own modeling shoots at his own studio. I'm not sure, but stockbroker to professional model feels a, like a bit of a demotion on the societal totem pole. Like, I don't know, maybe if you're an immortal blood-sucking uh, thing, maybe you should be prime minister at this point or in the diet well then people might notice that a you don't age and b you kill everyone that's around you yeah that's a fair point i guess you have to clean slate your identity every five years or so before people catch on first of all i would love to like find out who among the fang guy are just going around making these fake identities because most humans with a real past when that's looked into 
can't get jobs as like CEOs. But apparently this man who's like been fucking around since who knows when was a CEO in the 80s and now is like a teen model organizer person in the 08s. Yeah, he's a agent or something or model himself. I I wasn't entirely sure. Maybe he owns his own modeling agency. His face is on the magazine cover. Sorry, I went to the wiki to find out exactly what his uh, role is. But uh, I tried to get the Kiva and Den-O movie like continuity fixed into it even though that movie does not make any sense in the Kiva continuity because it completely ruins characterization, whatever. Anyways, he is a teen model agent. But, like, I guess he's also, like, kind of a celebrity. Yeah, but he's trying to court Megumi professionally, and she's pretty obviously in her 20s, I think. So if she was as old as her actress, she was 21. We return to Wataru, who is moping in his bathtub for, I don't know why, for being presumably unsure of his world allergy. Yeah, because uh, Megumi, you know, took off his mask and he was fine. Wataru seems disappointed that if he can breathe the dirty air that everyone else does, then he's also a quote-unquote dirty human. At least according to the subtitles I had. I don't know if this... If this means he's a misanthrope or what? He's kind of seems to be purposefully disconnecting himself from humanity. Kivat makes a kind of a funny remark on a classical painting and how attractive he finds it. Then we cut to Megumi, who's now at Kaoru's studio, where he comes up to her all creepily saying, I welcome your beauty, Kampai. Megumi flees into the adjacent parking garage. This is interspersed with Wataru playing a violin until he seems to sense the Fangire activity. Well, what happens is the bloody rose, the violin on the wall, hums. And that's how, that's when uh, Kivat says, Wataru, there's a Fangire. That's interesting. I guess we'll figure out what the deal is with that later on. So... Meanwhile, as the horse Spangire seems to be rearing up to chop on Megumi, she unloads three crossbow bolts into its torso. The Fangire demands to know who does she think she is, and she responds with a variation of Yuri's statement from the beginning of the episode. God is aired by allowing things like you into the world. I will rectify this. Please return that life to God. Yeah, it's... It's kind of cool. It's, I don't think it, considering the situation, I don't think it's pretentious, but I think it's kind of a, a cool creed to go into battle with. They fight a bit until Wataru and his robo-bat buddy, Kivat, as we've noted, comes onto the scene. With Kivat's help, Wataru henshins into common rider Kiva and fights the Fangire. The fight culminates in Kiva giving a flying kick to the Fengire that is so potent it ships the day into night and leaves an impact crater in the shape of the show's logo. The Fengire explodes into stained glass shards and what seems to be its soul or essence starts floating about only to be swallowed up by a derpy ass CGI dragon wearing a fucking castle. It's Castle Duran. That's what it's called? Yeah, Castle Doran. This is something that isn't mentioned at all in the series. Like, this is supplementary material stuff, but if a Fangire's soul is left uh, undamaged, it will eventually reform its body. So these souls don't possess hosts? They just reconstitute themselves if they're left to to their own devices? Yes. That would have explained how the the guy at the beginning of the of the episode got up. Like maybe a Fangire soul just shoved itself into that body and woke him up and turned into that spider Fangire. No, apparently that man was just playing the longest con. Props where props are due. 
But the dragon leaves, and Megumi, back on our feet, unloads three bolts into Kiba's backside as he does the slow hero walk out of the scene. Freeze frame, chains, and that's the episode. So what did you think of this first episode? I only really have Saber to compare it to at the moment, which as of this recording is still airing in Japan. But it's a different formula. The hero, the main rider, has his powers at this point, and already is going about his mission, which is to fight the monsters of, of the season. And he's a very different protagonist compared to, say, Toma and Saber, who's, who seems to be a pretty well-adjusted dude. It's very different from what I've seen thus far, and not I still don't have much to compare it to, but I think it's a pretty solid start. I'd give it not the best rating. I'd give it maybe a, I love my decimal points, so a 6.8 out of 10, if you consider 7 being an average on on this scale. Uh, for me, I love Kiva and... This might just be, you know, bias, but I love this first episode. I think the fight with, uh, what was his name again? Uh, oh yeah, the sincerity and melancholy that the twin imposters dream about fighting against Kiva is legitimately one of my favorite fights because it's very dynamic. Like they throw each other into cars. At one point, Kiva just like hangs upside down from a... Uh, from a uh, like a pillar or something and punches him in the chest a bunch of times, which is kind of his signature move. And the horse Spengar even just sort of shatters a bit of its armor or skin or whatever and makes a sword out of it. And it the sword looked pretty cool. I I would definitely use that in an RPG. Yeah, like it's it's just a very good fight. So I give it a eight out of ten. Yeah, it's a pretty good fight. It's a good note to to open the season on, and I dug it. Megumi got to shine a bit when she gave a sort of grappling hook whip attachment to her crossbow and sort of slashed at, at the horse spangire a bit in a similar matter, manner in which Yuri did at the beginning. All right, so now... Let's uh, move on to our award ceremony for the week. We have three awards to give out. The Rider of the Week, the Monster of the Week, and then ranking the villain this week in the Monster Mash. So the Rider of the Week is the standout character of the episode. And I am probably going to have to say... It's the sincerity and melancholy that the twin imposters dream about. That... That was a, that was a joke, by the way. Because I, I cannot take that name seriously. Yeah, I don't think anyone should take that name seriously anyhow. Uh, honestly, I, I think I'm going to give it to Megumi. Just because uh, the way that the actress played the character... Like, a, you know... Tr um, I'm sure some people in the sh who watched the show were fooled into thinking she was a damsel, only to be like, oh my god, she has a crossbow. Well, I, I'm not too far off from your pick. I, my writer of the week would be Yuri. She has a very cool, dramatic entrance when she comes in dressed as a mourner with a mourning veil and everything, and she... I don't know much about her yet, but she strikes me as sort of a a cold, consummate professional in this monster hunting game. And I think her weapon's cool. The whip swords are always pretty neat. Lots of fun stuff you can do with that. And she doesn't seem to take shit from anyone, so she's my writer of the week. Now, our monster of the week, which is the worst character of the episode. I am going to have to say... The Spider Fangire, who, uh, by the way, I just looked up his name. His name is the Caprico of the Paradise with Light. Oh my god, this... I don't... I, I can't, guys. I can't. 
So yes, the, Cap the Capco of the Paradise with Light is my least favorite character because apparently he just decided to long con his way into making friends and family and then like go to a goddamn, like fake his death, go to a goddamn funeral. Like it's the wildest thing and I cannot believe it. You know, maybe the funeral was a production. Maybe, maybe he set up a fake funeral. And, exactly. Like, hired people exactly. to pretend he, to like care for him. He hired people to come, a bunch of actors maybe, and they all came, and he so he could have a personal buffet. That 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 makes that makes it that that makes it worse. Like, also the fact that apparently, like he hired the best actors because this woman genuinely looked like she was sorry that he was Listen, gone. I. I can't claim to know what goes on in the mind of a Fangire. Well, you really overestimate the Fangire. <laughs> it's like, oh man, yeah, these things are eldritch creatures from beyond the veil. They're incomprehensible to humans. Meanwhile, the Fangires we've seen are the Caprico of the Paradise with Light, whose only real achievements is convincingly faking a funeral and running away from Yuri. And the sincerity and melancholy the twin imposters dream about, who's just so far been in every stereotype of sex offender. Regardless, I'd say my monster of the week is fuckboy with the garish violin case. Okay. You're, uh, you're using that quickly. Listen, I'm on the Kamen Rider Wiki, on the, tr on the notes section, and as anyone, anyone who will, who has been on this wiki knows, it's been turned, it, it's been turned, essentially, the notes and trivia section of the Kamen Rider Wiki is a game to see who can make the most dumbest thing trivia. <laughs> you can deal with the names, but you can't deal with the trivia. Like, there will be, there, like, there definitely will be things of trivia that will just be ridiculous and dumb. But I'm going to read them anyways and call them out as I see them. <laughs> oh, by the way, would you like, okay, who the hell, who the hell is editing the wiki for this episode of Kamen Rider Akiva? Because apparently they got the information that the viewership for this episode was 7.6%. Thank you for listening to Common Rider AA. Make sure to join us next week as we watch episodes two and three of Common Rider Kiva. Hen! Sheep!